Hi, I'm Arnav Rastogi, and this is Satvat Srinivas. And together, we are co-hosts of the Backfield Grid. Thank you for tuning in. For the past few episodes, we've been going over the most interesting positions in the draft. Quarterbacks, pass catchers. But now, let's look at the draft more broadly. As April 29th comes, we want to see how the entire draft is going to play out. With that being said, let's get right into it. Yeah, like Arnav said, we're going to be looking at this draft holistically, top to bottom. What we really feel about it, you know, which teams are going to go after what kind of players, what positions, maybe what kind of bold predictions we have in store. But really just looking at what we expect to see on draft night. Right. And, you know, in the quarterbacks video, I think we made it very, very clear that the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks. I think it's quite obvious uh, the direction those three teams want to go in. So let's move past it and four and five, because the Atlanta Falcons and Cincinnati Bengals, these two picks are so consequential to this draft. I mean, it can change the entire course of the draft. What, what players teams go after. I mean, it's crazy how two teams can just have such a big impact. Yeah, definitely. Because these are teams that are right there, four and five. These are top premier picks, a lot of value there. And specifically, let's look at the Falcons at number four. You know, they don't have a pressing need to go after a Kyle Pitts. Maybe they trade out of there. But, you know, I've said this before, and I feel really strongly, if you have the opportunity to select a generational talent like that, the worst thing in the world would be to look back on this and be like, oh, we had the opportunity, but we didn't draft him. So if I'm, if I'm Atlanta and I'm taking, I'm taking Kyle Pitts, like I'm, I'm really good. I'm confident with that pick, unless if some team is willing to trade you like two or three first rounders to give you that trade, maybe that think about it, but I'm leaning Kyle Pitts here. Right. I was just going to head there, right? Like Atlanta is in the spot where, you know, you feel like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, that's like a good tandem. Like, Kyle Pitts isn't a pressing need, but you wouldn't want to give him up. But if a team like New England, Washington, I'm just voting names out. If they feel a strong connection to one of these quarterbacks, because really, I think, I think we know the process here of if you want to move up to a top five pick, it's, it's going to be the first round pick you got this draft, a first round pick in a later draft, and maybe an extra first. Right. And you're only giving up that amount of firsts to get a quarterback because really any only the quarterback position is worth that many firsts. So here, if you get an exceptional trade package, if I'm Atlanta, I'm going to take it because Kyle Pitts, the tight end position isn't a pressing need. But other than that, really, you have to you have to think Kyle Pitts here for the Falcons. Yeah, you really do. And speaking of teams that really have to trade up there, I'm looking at Chicago because we're going to get into this. They're there at number 20, but the, it's not looking bright for them. Their chances of landing a quarterback at number 20. You know, I'd say this, like, keep an eye out for Chicago. I have a, I have a feeling they're going to be making a move this draft. Yeah, definitely. That, that 20 spot, I'd hate to be Chicago if I'm at 20. You know, there's a lot of moves you could, can make and a lot of moves you can't make. It's a trap. It's a trap pick, that 20 pick. Um, but, but let's get back to the uh, fifth pick here, the Bengals, right? And, and we sort of talked about it in the pass catchers episode here. Um, 
what do they go and protect Burrow or do they go and find him a weapon? And I think this is going to have a direct impact on the teams behind the Bengals because they are all looking for pass catching threats, right? So if the Bengals take Jamar Chase off the board, then teams maybe like the Panthers or the Giants, they maybe have to rethink their strategy because there's not going to be a top 10 receiving or pass catching talent available to them at that spot. Yeah, definitely. Like the decision that the Bengals make there at number five is going to influence a lot of things that happen immediately afterwards. And, you know, if I'm Cincinnati, the way I'm feeling right now is it's definitely, you know, you want to get that premier left tackle, protect your quarterback. But at the same time, I feel like the connection is there. Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow. And right now it's really 50, 50. We're going to have to see what happens draft night. But my feeling, my gut feeling is that they're going to go Jamar Chase just to get those two together, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. But I could really see it happening either way. And, you know, if they do go Jamar Chase, I think that sets up perfectly for Miami because I think at that point, last year they took Austin Jackson. I I don't think they're going to go take Penny Sewell, especially because they can – the same way that, you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are reuniting as teammates – Devontae Smith and Tua Tugavailoa can reunite as teammates, right? And so then in this scenario, you're going to see Penny Sewell, a top five talent for sure in this draft. Now he's slipping down the charts. Yeah, this is really a possibility, but also, you know, he could be gone at number five for sure. Yeah, definitely. But it really depends on one team making a decision that's just got the domino effect, destroying people's mock drafts. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't know, man. I just feel like the Bengals are going to go Jamar Chase. I've said that. And then if you're Miami, maybe do you take Panesol? How do you feel, how do you look at that? I know you did take Austin Jackson, but Panesol is a home run, man. If you bring him in, it's like it's almost a guarantee that you're going to have a franchise left tackle. Right. I mean, that's Laramie Tunsil 2.0 right there, right? You got your franchise left tackle again. But, you know, using the same logic as you did, you know, reuniting two teammates who already have that connection, yeah. just bringing it to a different team. I mean, that that's something that you can't replicate, right? If, you, if you're playing with the guy at college level and you're balling out, I, I think you, that chemistry sort of can come yeah. to the NFL and you can ball at an NFL level as well. Yeah. And, you know, just looking at Miami, too, I think they're looking for that weapon to get to that help. So, yeah, I, I could see that definitely. Go Miami going Devontae Smith if he's there at six. Right. And and another thing that I, I just think this connection is bound to happen while we're on the topic of pass catchers is Jalen Waddell and the Carolina Panthers, right? I mean, Curtis Samuel, obviously, he left um, to reunite with Ron Rivera in Washington. But, I mean, you look at what Matt Rule was able to do with Curtis Samuel this year, career year for him, and – Jalen Waddle is possibly an upgrade over Curtis Samuel, right? So I think it, the fit there is perfect. I, I think I'm going to call this like if the scenario that we're saying happens where, you know, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase are off the board with the Bengals and the Dolphins, you know, the Lions are also looking for a receiving talent. I think the Panthers might actually trade up because this it's too perfect, right? You, you, it's just too perfect. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know for a fact that Carolina is looking to go offense this year in the draft for sure. You know, we saw last year it was all defense. We saw that payoff 
the season, the remarkable season that Jeremy Chin had, the other guys that they drafted. But this year, it's going to be offense, definitely. And, you know, that begs the question. We keep talking about the situation with Panay falling. So then at that point, intermediate between six and eight, you have the Lions at seven. And you just brought up, you know, Carolina would have to trade up one spot if they were really convicted that they want to go get Jalen Waddle. But I feel like Detroit's also a team that wants a receiver. So I don't know if they would realistically be trading out of that seven spot because they just had to let Kenny Galladay go, you know? Right. And, and in that scenario, you know, um, rumors have been circulating that the Panthers are actually looking to trade back. Right. And I think that fits perfectly actually with what we were talking about in terms of the receiving class being so deep in our last episode. Right. So I think if the Panthers are actually in a spot where, you know, they see another receiver that they like other than Jalen Waddle and, you know, a team, um, another team who's willing to give up future first, just to move up to that eight spot, the Panthers, they are able to accumulate picks and fulfill that, you know, wide receiver need while trading down. I think, you know, that's something that's been right in the news the past couple of days. And I think that's also a perfect situation for the Panthers. I mean, it's win-win. Yeah, because I think Carolina is in that spot where, you know, they have Sam Donald. He's going to be the quarterback, at least for the time being. You know, hopefully he proves himself for Carolina fans out there. But uh, they're not in that spot where, you know, they're more of a team where you don't need to invest a really high pick right now because you have your quarterback taken care of. You have some key playmakers, but you also need to accumulate talent. And, you know, the drafting game is sort of like it's probability. The more picks you have, the more likely that you're going to hit on these picks. It's kind of like the lottery, you know? So, yeah, I think Carolina is realistically a team that could be actually moving down. Right. There, there's just endless possibilities here. And, you know, now, now we move to sort of the middle of the draft. And this is where things get wild. And is I want to point out two positions here. And both are really in the trenches here, the offensive line and defensive line, because I think there's just so many teams in the middle of the drafts who are looking for little upgrades, right? You need that defensive force or you need that one offensive lineman to protect uh, your quarterback. And I mean when I look at the amount of guys that are available, obviously, you know, Penny Sewell um, or Quiddy Pay, they're going to be going in the higher parts of the draft. But when we get to the middle part of the draft, I mean, there's so much talent available. Offensively, you look at Rashawn Slater, Christian Derrissaw, Elijah Vera Tucker, Tevin Jenkins. I mean, the list goes on and on. And on the flip side, right, you look at guys like Jason Owe, Aziz Ojolari, uh, Jalen Rosal, Christian Barmore. I mean, it's just the amount of talent in this draft. I, it's just insane. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's what we were talking about. The depth in this class. There's so many guys that could even be like late first round picks that could be immediate impact players on a team, like an edge rusher or a defensive back that you can bring in, get him in your scheme. And he could go out day one and contribute to your team. And that's sort of, you know, where this draft kind of separates around, I would say maybe like the first 12-ish picks is going to be dominantly offense. But after that, we have so many edge rushers in this class that are going to be going in those picks, defensive backs, corners. So I really think that this class is just so deep that no matter where you are in the first round, you're going to be 
and an opportunity to actually get a player that can start day one. Yeah. And, you know, on the flip side of that, you, you're talking about the Bears. And I, I don't know if the Bears fall into that category because, I mean, it, it, it's hard where they are because I feel like at 20, I, I don't know if they're going to get that star player that's going to fulfill their needs. But at the same time, they're going to get a talent. I don't know. It's like they need a cornerback. They need a quarterback. They need this. They need that. One step away from getting there, right? But at 20, can they fulfill that? Especially because they don't have the most picks in the draft. Like they're they're actually limited, especially because of that Khalil Mack trade that they made, right? They gave away a lot of picks. So they're limited in this year's and next year's draft. Well, for me, if I'm Chicago, it's really simple, right? I, I know you're in that 20 spot. It's kind of weird. But if if you think that you need to go get a quarterback, you know, I don't – I'm not in Chicago, but to me, Andy Dalton is not the future. I would bet a lot of money that they don't think Andy Dalton is the future. If they do, then that's a completely different story. But if you want a quarterback and you're really fixed on a guy, you have to trade up, make it happen. They do have some assets. I know they gave a lot away with that Khalil Mack trade, but – if you know that you want a Trey Lance, you want a Mac Jones, you want one of these guys, you have to trade up and make it happen. But if you just want to go with Andy Dalton for this year, I think you're fine where you are. You know, maybe you draft a player that could make an impact. Maybe even you just trade back, add some more picks, you know, see what you can do with that. But I don't think Chicago is in a, is in a place where they're like talent void as a roster. You know, they have playmakers, but the quarterback question is always just lingering until they figure it out. And if Andy Dalton is what you're going with, that's what you're going with. He's a fine quarterback. He can win games in the slate. There's nothing wrong with Andy Dalton, but he's not your franchise quarterback. Right. And I mean, it, it's sort of, you know, we, we're, we know that in every draft, there's always that one shock, that one surprise. No one's really anticipating it. It doesn't get a lot of media coverage, but it just happens, right? And Chicago could be that team. You know, no one thinks that, Chicago is going to make this big splashy trade up, especially because they gave up a boatload for Khalil Mack, right? You don't want to be too, you want, you don't want to give up too many picks, but it might happen. I mean, that might be the shock of the draft. Chicago trades up to get Trey Lance or Mac Jones. I don't know. It's a, it's a complete possibility. And I think that might be our, our shock of the 2021 draft. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm anticipating something like that. But at the flip side to that, you know, Chicago is that kind of team that they do exactly what the opposite of what they should be doing. I mean, I don't mean that in like a way that they've done some pretty good job scouting, you know, the guys that they've accumulated on defense. They put a pretty good roster together, just struggling with the quarterback position. But, you know, I want to backtrack a little bit to pick 12, my Eagles here. And honestly, as an Eagles fan, I'm a little worried because that stretch we talked about like five to around nine, five to around eight, that's going to be all receivers. And as an Eagles fan, I want to see us get a top receiver in this draft class, but I don't know if we could realistically do that at 12 after trading back. What, what do you think? Right. But I think, um, you know, the class is deep. It is deep. Right. I, I definitely think you could get like, in my opinion, um, you know, a after Alshon Jeffrey sort of, you know, he, he's not the same as he was. I think he's going, he's well on his way out of Philly. Um, and I think, you know, you got Jalen Rager last year. That's your speed. That's your deep threat. You need a big, big body receiver. And I'm thinking 
if someone like Terrence Marshall, he falls in the first round to like the bottom half of the draft, make a move. Late, late, late round, late round. We know that that late, late sort of like the picks like 25 to 32 right there. It's where teams who have some sort of conviction about a guy who's fallen through the draft board. I think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens is a perfect example of this. If you need a guy, you got a conviction back half of the draft is where you want to go. Cause it's not going to cost you a lot of first. It's not going to cost you a first. It's going to cost you maybe a future second at max. Right. But you can go get your guy. And I think, you know, if I'm the Eagles here, I think I draft a top defensive talent at 12. Right. And then back half of the first round, or if someone slips into the second round, I go get a receiver there just because this class is so deep, man. Like I think there's going to be a star receiver that's selected on day two and day three. Yeah, no, definitely. We talked about this, you know, the, in our receiver breakdown, really all five of the guys that we had, and we just talked about five of them. There's so many guys in this class that have such incredibly high ceilings. And, you know, speaking of the Baltimore Ravens who are sitting there at 27, and we talked about this in our receiver episode, we feel really good about Rashad Bateman. I'm seeing that he could be a guy that they decide to go with because I feel like it, Baltimore has to get a receiver in this first round. I feel really strongly about that. Maybe if you're not liking the guys that are there, maybe you wait. But I feel like at 27, Baltimore has to be a receiver. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, if you if you have, like, a talent that slips, like, I'm looking at maybe a linebacker here. That's a, another top need. If you have, like, maybe a guy like uh, a Wusu, uh Koromoa from uh, Notre Dame. He's an excellent linebacker. If he slips out of the 20 from, if he slips out of the top 20, then I think they might go get him. But other, other than that, barring any of that, I definitely think um, that the Ravens are going to go here and get a receiver. And I, I think their situation sort of similar to Philadelphia, right? You have a, a deep threat in your receiver corp, right? They have, uh, the Eagles have Joan Rager. They have Marquise Brown, right? But they need that, big body alpha number one receiver. He's going to go in the middle and take those uh, hits. He's going to make that tough nitty catch. And, um, you know, both of the teams have young quarterbacks here. So I see a lot of similarities here and definitely, right. You look at maybe a Rashad Bateman or Terrence Marshall, right. Perfect right there um, for the Ravens. So I, I think, I think the, the team, the birds here, I, th- I think they got a lot of similarities. Yeah, one more thing I want to bring up with these running backs in this class, and this is a position that doesn't get a lot of love. You know, these guys don't see big contracts, a lot of injuries. It's a tough position, but two running backs in this draft class that are top-notch A-plus prospects, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris. I think these are guys that could potentially be taken late in the first round, around 29 to 32. You know, I think back to last draft when Kansas City picked up Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and these are guys that could make tremendous impacts as late first round picks. Right. I mean, in the back half of the draft, you're looking at solid playoff teams who just really are adding to abundance of talent. They already had, right. You look at Kansas city, right. They added Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and what a great pickup he was. I mean, week one, he was falling out against the Texans. So, I mean, that was a W pick right there for Kansas city, but you know, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris, you know, running backs, they don't get a lot of love, right. It's like, you know, you use them for a couple of years and then you just get a new one, right? That, that sort of thing. It's like, it's like a car that they're leasing. 
But I think these are two very, very special talents, especially Travis Etienne's ability to catch the football as well as run it. And Najee's Harris, just big size. He, he really reminds me of Derrick Henry coming out of Alabama. Um, that, that's the comparison that I give him. But, you know, really, you, you sort of said 29 to 30. I would even go higher. You know, the Steelers losing James Conner. I think that might be a, a perfect spot for a running back to go. Um, the Bills here, I mean, that would be one hell of a pickup right there, right? Najee Harris to the Bills, adding him to this tough offense with uh, Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. I mean, what a pickup that would be. Yeah, so these running backs here, not they don't get a lot of love. It's not, it's not like the deepest class ever, but there are some real talents here. Yeah, so that's pretty much what we're thinking for this year's NFL draft, the first round. I think it's going to be a good one. There's a lot of moving parts here. There's definitely going to be a trade or two, things we don't anticipate. But I don't know. I feel like this is going to be an interesting draft. Yeah, 8 p.m. Thursday, April 29th. I can't wait. I can't wait for half of our predictions to be proven wrong. You know, no mock draft is 100% perfect. No conviction is always a conviction. So I can't, I can't wait for a team to just make a shocking move. The trades, I mean, I'm strapped in for Thursday, man. All right. With that being said, thank you for listening to the 42nd episode of The Backfield Rip. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll reveal our post-draft tier list. Until then, it's been Sat Vichinavas and Arnav Rostogi. Stay safe and take care.